Welcome to Life Changing Money, a podcast all about one of the most taboo topics in the world, money. I'm your host, Barbara Shrehan, and we're going behind the scenes on business owners' journeys to money, success, and wealth. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Life Changing Money. I'm so excited because I have my friend Mindy Jones here. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me in this beautiful space. You're our first in-person podcast guest. I am so lucky. Your guests are going to love this space. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we have high hopes. Hopefully, like we can have content shoots here for other people and people can like swap out the sign and maybe do their own podcast. Who knows what will happen? It has a very cool, creative vibe. Thank you. So tell our audience who you are, what you do. Uh, my name is Mindy Jones, and I own the Amy Jones Group, which is a residential real estate team in the Southeast Valley. And I also of founded, Arizona of Arizona. Yes, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Southeast Valley of Arizona. I also founded a nonprofit last year called Community on Purpose and have a podcast with the same name. Um, I do a bunch of other coaching, speaking. I'm an Exactly What to Say certified guide, which is all about building curiosity and empathy to have influence in conversations. And I'm a mom, which really takes up about 75% of my brain. Right. So did you first get into real estate and then all the other things happened after? All the other things that I just listed, yes, but real estate was not my first career. What got you into real estate? So my stepmom was in real estate in Chandler, Arizona. She had been uh, for about 10 years prior to me getting into the business. I have a background in nonprofit management. So I worked with an organization called Make a Difference, which is now Hands on Greater Phoenix. Um, and I was at Phoenix Children's Hospital for several years doing donor development for them. And I got my master's in public administration. And I also worked in the IT space, designing and delivering sales training. I'm kind of one of those people that just thinks the world is so big and I often get job envy mm -hmm. and I hear really cool things that I want to do and try <laughs> and I'm like, I can do anything. So I go and I figure it out. And you're probably really good at raising capital then <laughs> if you were raising money I am very good at getting people to see why I'm passionate about things because I only do things that I really believe in. And when you are aligned with the things that you're talking about, people can see that. I mm -hmm. remember once I was talking to someone about real estate and I love real estate. I love helping families. I love navigating the difficult parts of life. That's what draws me into the career. And I was sitting down and I was talking to somebody about that and we sidebarred into nonprofit work and working with organizations, giving them, and she was like, your hands started moving, you started yelling, you, your eyes lit up and you just can't hide when you're passionate about something. Mm -hmm. And so I love sharing that with people and I do love getting people to rally together to influence some type of a change. When... You became a real estate agent. Was that your first time like owning your own business? Yes. What was the <laughs> switch like from going W-2 to then business owner? So it's really weird for me to look back at some of the major life changes that I've made because 
I do believe that I look at life and the decisions I make through this lens of like, I will figure it out. And I know that in the moment, I carry a lot of stress and anxiety about the decision. And I think about it and overthink about it and analyze about stress about it. But then when I've come to the decision, I just make it. And then when I look back on it, it's like I can't remember any of the anxiety part. Yeah. And so when I look back at that time, it was like I had a W-2 job. I was making almost $100,000 a year. I just knew that I had to replace that income. And so my plan, I think my stepmom made a joke. I was traveling most days um, for work. And she said, if you're a real estate agent, you don't have to travel anymore. And I was like, okay. And six weeks later, I quit my job. The intention was get my license, stay working, transition. Yeah, sure. I had like senioritis once I made the decision. (laughs) And I just went and I did it. And so I know at the time I evaluated it. But when I look back, it was like, I just had to replace that income. I was the single income of my family. I owned my own home at the time. I actually was transitioning into my second home at the time. Um, I didn't have kids yet, but I had always supported myself. And there had been harder times in my life. There were times where I would buy food boxes from the food bank And I did that because I could contribute the $20 to get the box. And, you know, that's how I did. So I've had all different types of times in my life financially. But at the time, I just knew that it was something that I could do. I was lucky to come into a business with other people who knew what they were doing. So I wasn't on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I do own the business now. I didn't then. I was an agent on the team. Mm -hmm. But I operated very much like I had when I worked in the corporate space. I never changed my alarm clock time. It was the same time I used to get up to go to work every day. I got dressed in my boring corporate, you know, I grew up in the corporate sector. So it's very like not what it is today. It was the black pantsuit and the, you know, not what you're required to do today, but that is what it was. And I would get up, I would get dressed in that. I would put my cup coffee in a to-go cup, not a regular cup. And I had a basement, lived in the historic neighborhood in downtown Phoenix. And I had a basement and I would go to my basement. I had made an office just for this job And I would stay down there until five (laughs) o'clock. I would go in there at 7.30 in the morning and I'd stay down there until five o'clock and I would work on my business. And that was my plan of how I was going to replace my income was just to treat it the same way I always had as a job. That's so smart. I feel like I haven't heard anyone talk about (laughs) that of like, treat it just like you did your other job. I think a lot of people when they start their own business, they're like, oh, I, yeah, I can sleep in. Totally. I can wear whatever. I mean, I did that when I started. Yeah. I, it was during COVID and I just started wearing leggings every day mm-hmm. and gym clothes because I didn't have to get ready anymore. I literally burned my pantsuits. I burned <laughs> literally? them. Literally? I burned a legitimate them. Burn? Yes, like a fire, so burned great. them. Um, it was like my my release of, yeah. of those accounting firms. But, sure. Um, but because all I did was like wear leggings, then you like gained weight without even realizing sure. it. And then you're like on camera and you're like, oh shit, um, that just happened. So that's smart that you did that. And there's no right or wrong, right? I mean, people become entrepreneurs for a hundred different reasons. And if there is one thing that I can say has happened to me over the last 11 years of being a business owner, 
it's that I've shed a lot of what I learned in the corporate space. Mm. I remember going to like my first real estate training or whatever. And my dad, who was in the industry at the time, even though I didn't grow up in the industry, said something to the effect of like, how was your training or whatever? He was just trying to know. And coming from the corporate space, I was like, they didn't have the chairs set up. The AV <laughs> equipment wasn't working right. There were no handouts. Like, you know, you you get in this box of what things are supposed to look like. Yeah. And so over the last 11 years, I've shed a lot of how it has to look, how it's supposed to look, what leadership looks like, especially being a female entrepreneur, trying to lead and then feeling a disconnect because I was leading in a way that I wouldn't have want to have been led, but that is what I learned what leadership looked like. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's been such a growing period over that time. So people don't have to wear the pantsuit like I did but that for me was the way to say, this is important. Mm -hmm. This is not optional. Yeah, I had never been a commission-only employee in my life. I wasn't raised in that type of an environment. My parents were not entrepreneurs. They both had been at their companies for a very long time in their life. There was never a conversation about starting your own business. In fact, for a long time, I didn't even think I was entrepreneurial by nature until I looked back at all of the nonprofit work that I did and had done since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. My sort of go-to story to explain to people like who I am. I started a peer mediation group when I was in second grade and trained my peers with all my years of knowledge. Wait, how did you even know what peer mediation <laughs> know, someone is? Someone asked me the other day, did you call it a peer mediation group? And I'm like, yeah, I feel like in my memory, that is what I called it. Um, and if you met my four-year-old son, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you probably did call it that. <laughs> but um, but I, I trained people, like, you know, how to resolve conflict. And so when I look back on those memories, I may not have used it to make money, but I was very entrepreneurial in the fact that if I, found, if I saw a need, I fixed it. I <laughs> created it. I assembled people. I gave them direction. I led them. I solved a problem. You know, all of the things that I think are important in the entrepreneurial space, but because I didn't attach them to money, I thought that maybe that just wasn't for me. So I'm so curious. <laughs> how did a second grader uh -huh. teach other second graders or whoever? Uh -huh. How to resolve problems? Like what were what was <laughs> what were my tools? What were your my steps? Like one, two, three. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I can remember that level of detail, but I can tell you that I do remember bringing them together and telling them that there were organized trainings as a part of this process. <laughs> they used to call me in school the pen and paper girl, which is not like a popular. You know, I wasn't popular, but that's how people would describe me because no matter what we did there was a process associated. It'd be like, oh, let's play hide and seek. And I'd be like, wait, let me get my, Draw I got to write the rules. <laughs> and I got, you know, I got to say what happens next. And it was always used for structure, not like competition. It wasn't like to keep score. Mm -hmm. It was structure. And so I remember taking them on the playground, meeting, talking about the kinds of problems that kids might have, and then posted them at corners and made them matching like puffy paint shirts. Wow. Um, so just knowing that there was something that I thought that we could help fix <laughs> and that I didn't try to do it myself. That's the other piece I think of 
being an entrepreneur and the ones I think who are most successful realize that maybe the idea comes from them or the the burden of the risk, right, comes from them. But we're not meant to do these kinds of things by ourselves. And I never thought in anything that I did that it was something just for me to do. So some of our listeners listening are probably still out there. W-2 job, and they're like, I really want to own a business, Mm -hmm. but I can't make that leap of faith yet. And you mentioned by the time you like made the decision to become a real estate agent, and then six weeks later, you just ended up quitting. I'm sure in that six weeks, you didn't replace your income yet. Mm -mm. Do you remember like what went through? Yeah. So I used credit cards. And I don't say that to say that that's how people should do it. I think now what's really important for people to think about when they make these kind of moves is not only what their plan is, but what their commitment level is. Because for me, it was not optional. And so while it was scary to put debt on these credit cards, which I had always worked very hard not to hold, because in the times that I had had poor financial control, the level of anxiety that that caused me was so great. And Mm -hmm. so I had finally been at a place where I didn't have that anymore. And so it really scared me to do those kinds of things. Um, But I knew that it was a non-negotiable for me. And so now when I have new agents come into this world and they're at a job and they're like, I want to make this move. My question to them is, how committed are you to replacing that income? And what position are you actually in to be able to make a move like this? Because a lot of times what I see is people will get into the industry without a plan. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a spouse or a partner, right? So they have a very short amount of time in which they can replace whatever income they had. And they are not realistic with the amount of work that it will take to get there, nor do they have a plan in place if they can't get Mm -hmm. there. And so they spend this time trying to ramp a new business, meanwhile being extremely anxious and frustrated about what they're missing out on financially in that short period of time. And if just like you can tell when I'm passionate about something, you can tell when people are scared, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, a, it's a box, it's a prison that it holds you in and you're not able to be the best version of yourself. Yeah. So they're trying to start a new business. They, they lack the confidence because they're learning something new. They're stressed about money. They didn't put a plan together ahead of time. And then within three to four months, they have to eject. And the saddest part about that is that I believe they got into it for certain reasons, whether it's moms who want to be more around their kids or have more flexibility in their schedule or whatever that might look like. And because they didn't make a a plan and a commitment to what that looks like, they now have to abandon that entire plan and go to something that doesn't serve them in any of those ways. Mm. Whereas I feel like, you can do it in pieces. If you're unsure of how to make the move, do it in pieces. Mm -hmm. And then when your new income can replace your old income, that's when you jump ship. And is it hard to have a day job, a side gig, and a family? A thousand percent. Mm -hmm. And, And, but you get to choose your hard. 
right? Yeah. I just had an appointment this morning with my lender and that was our whole conversation. It's hard to go to the gym. It's hard to be unhealthy. It's hard to get up in the morning. It's hard to be running late. It's like yep. you, you get none of it's easy, right? But you get to choose which one. Yeah. And I think the part you mentioned about them also being anxious is the same with like money energetics too, right? It's like, if you're feeling anxious and you're like, oh my gosh, I need a sale right yeah. now. Yeah. You're also just like choking yeah. the money from coming to you yeah. as well. Like yeah. the universe can feel that. Yes. I feel like the industry that I'm in right now, I mean, I have my hands in a lot of different things, but the real estate industry is smaller than it's been over the last few years. And I think there's opportunity for buyers and for sellers, but for people who are paid off of the number of times that we do that in a year, mm -hmm. there are some struggles. And I think for me, I've had to make some decisions around money. I have long-term investments that I would love to hold on to. But right now, what I would love more is to quell some of the anxiety that I have that is keeping me from starting new projects or doing new things because it's keeping me up at night. Mm -hmm. And so I made the choice to sell a rental property, for example. That's a great rental property. It cash flows for me. Like no one looks at it on paper and is like, do that, right? Mm -hmm. they, they keep it, keep it forever. And I'm like, I hear you, I believe you, I agree with you. And what I need right now is a little peace of mind. And I think that so much is wrapped up in money, especially for me about your worth and your value and making the right decisions and doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to make choices for ourselves that says there is nothing more important than my peace. Mm -hmm. And you may make decisions that others may be unsure of. And yeah. yet you have to know that for yourself in that time, that is the right thing to do. That's so important because I think there's so much like of those gurus online that just try to push their own, like what they do to mm -hmm. build their wealth. But mm -hmm. that doesn't look the same for everybody. Right. Right. And I think a lot of it, too, is in real estate. Like mm -hmm. sometimes there's people that are like, you should only buy distressed properties and do X, Y, Z to get it or only buy on the 1% rule or whatever, mm -hmm. but choose which one like feels good mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. And it will always be right if it feels good right. for you. To go back to what you were saying though about the plan and commitment, I think it's so important to write down these things and it can, it can be called a plan. Maybe it's just your goals, mm -hmm. but just like putting pen to paper Ooh, maybe you were manifesting See? from when you were a <laughs> little <future>. kid. <laughs> yeah, like that was you manifesting. Um, but like writing also down a good company name. Ooh, yeah, that'll be another thing. Yeah. Pen, okay. Pen to paper. Uh huh. I like it. Um, but writing down those goals and levels of commitment, so mm -hmm. you can always also go back to it when you're feeling anxious or yes. want to eject from yes an industry. I think I, what weighs heavy on me when I make decisions is, is doing the right thing. And I think what entrepreneurs and moms and anybody who lives with any form of imposter syndrome has to 
recognize at some point is that there is so much that happens between the decision and the outcome that is beyond our control. So it's not so much about making the right decision or the wrong decision. You can make the right decision and not be happy with the outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're writing down, whether it's about writing down your goals or making big life moves or whatever it is, you have to take off some of that pressure of making this decision and knowing the next 10 steps that are going to come from it. It's like, we're going to make this decision and we're going to plan the next few and then life is going to show up and then we're going to look different and we're going to need to revisit it and figure out what that next phase looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big learning curve for me. Sometimes my mom will remind me when I make a decision and then I bring it back up again. And she's like, why are we talking about this? And I'm like, because I just don't know. And she's like, you did all this already. What's happening now is just your natural second guessing, thinking about it, but you didn't make the decision willy nilly. So trust that you made the right one and then just let it play out. Yeah. Okay. So when you were in your basement, <laughs> yes. From 7.30 in the morning to yes. 5 at night. Yeah. I have like one little tiny window. It was built too high. Like it wasn't to code either. Like you couldn't climb out. You of would course. die if yeah. something happened in your basement. It was built in the 40s. So I had like one little tiny window. And I remember that's like how I could see. Oh, it's like dark outside. You know, oh, that's how you knew what time it was. <laughs> how did you like, quote, build your business being down there? Like what was your... Yeah. So, I mean, it looked very different then, right, than it looks now just because of the time difference. I mean, social media was not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a team website. I felt like I needed my own website. And so I spent some time and money trying to put that together. Um, I would go to local businesses and leave my business cards and just try to talk to people about what I did. because I believe that if I can find someone else doing something successful, I can somehow partner with them. I sought out rental companies. So at the time, there were big property management companies, and they hadn't mastered the online world either. So they would get phone calls from people who wanted to be you know, renters, and they didn't really have any good systems of what to do with all those people. So there wasn't anyone really following up with them. It was like, if you got, if you got the apartment they had or the house they had, great, but otherwise it, they didn't do anything with any of these people. So I went to all of these companies and I was like, hey, I'm a real estate agent. I'd love to help your clients. How does that look for you? And they're like, oh, sure, here's a million people that you can just have. And oh, here, you know, then you start to do and they're like, here's access to our spreadsheet of our houses we have coming up soon. We're just remodeling them, but they're on lockboxes so you can go. So it was like you built relationships with people, which then created opportunities for you to get like the inside track. And so I built my, I think the first year I did like 50 rentals or something like that. But it got it kept me busy. Mm-hmm. It kept me out talking to people. It got me into a routine of talking about real estate and moving. And, you know, I was doing contracts. And so I was lucky that I had some business come from the team because I was in an established environment. But I just found whatever I could to try to do stuff within my industry. I just had that conversation with someone today about something totally different. Like, 
when you build relationships with people and you're truly there to have a mutually beneficial relationship, they give you access Mm -hmm. to stuff that I just always think is wild, either access to their clients or I'm doing a presentation for someone and I'm like, I could give them this giveaway and here's a QR code to my website and blah, blah. I'm like, oh yeah, sure, put it in there. And I'm thinking, really, you're gonna, I didn't say, I'm like, like, oh yeah, it's great, it's a great idea. But in my head, I'm like, you're gonna give me all that access, Mm -hmm. but that's because you came in with value. Yeah. And I just think that that's always how I've known how to do things, not to create it on my own, but to find other people who are doing stuff that I can provide value to and then do more together. That happened to me literally (laughs) right before you got here today. One of my friends called me, who's another female business owner in money, and her and I just keep in touch over the years. And she's like, hey, I have two clients for you. She runs down, you know, all their information, what they need. And then I forget how we brought it up. Oh, I asked her to train my team on something. I was like, hey, do you want to train my employees on budgeting? And because that's her thing. And she's like, yeah, of course. Do you want anyone else to train your team? Like, who can I introduce you to? And I was like, oh, I had no answer. You know, I'm like, I don't I don't know. I haven't thought about that. But thank you so much. She's like, do you like spreadsheets? I'm like, I'm an accountant. Of course, I love (laughs) spreadsheets. She's like, you know, Miss Excel. And I'm like, I love Miss Excel. Like, do you know her Mm -hmm. from Instagram? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love her. I've been trying to reach out to her on Instagram and she won't respond. And I want her on my podcast. She's like, oh, I'm good friends with her. I'm going to introduce you right now. And it's just like exactly what you're saying. It's like those relationships are just like door opening. Totally. And I think that's having the mindset that you don't have to be doing these things alone. In fact, it makes no sense that you would be new to an industry or trying to learn something new and instead, and, and you're just trying to figure it out on your own. I would say that is one thing that I have left over from the corporate world. In, in corporate, a team is a thing, right? Maybe you're in different departments and maybe it's dysfunctional, but one person is not doing all of those different things. Yeah. And so when I came into real estate and it was like, every man for themselves, right? And this was 11 years ago. Things obviously have changed since then. And depending on where you're at, they may look different. But it was very much that way. I mean, we didn't have our team meetings in the office because other people might hear what we were going to say. I mean, it's just, I, I didn't grow up ever looking at the world like that. Yeah. And Let's talk more about community then. Okay. So then you also started a nonprofit. Yes. Tell us more about that. So it's called Community on Purpose. And the n- reason behind the name is that you'll hear people talk about things being organic. It happened organically. I call BS on most of that. I agree that it can feel really natural and organic relationships you know, meeting someone, running into some, whatever, but I believe that it has to happen with intention. I think what most people say is organic is really the result of alignment. And when you are in alignment, the things that you do start to overlap and they start to show up and they start to feel easier. But that happened because you were intentional about either what you wanted or how you were going to get it. And so I believe at my core that community doesn't just happen. You have to show up for it. You have to support it. You have to give to it. You have to be a part of it. You have to advocate for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been an advocate 
of the underdog. I've always believed that we can create a level playing field for people if they want to show up to that. Um, obviously, I can't say anything like that without understanding that there are people in this world who have to work twice as hard as I do for a variety of different reasons. Um, but I am committed to creating opportunity for people where there is opportunity to be had. And so Community on Purpose for me has three legs. It's um, very in line with the things that I'm most passionate about. And so that's women in leadership and business, partnering with organizations who create opportunity for women, whether it's around uh, workplace opportunities, educational opportunities, family support systems. Um, we also support organizations that support youth and families. So I believe our next generation is all that we have mm -hmm. to make long and lasting change in this world. So um, foster care families, homeless families, um, anywhere that we can support giving children the belief that they can and do anything. And then the third piece is direct giving, which is a little bit smaller of a component for today. But as real estate agents, we're often the first to see things in families' lives that they haven't yet shared with people. It has been shocking to me in the 11 years that I've been doing this. I am often the phone call that someone makes after their spouse passes away, maybe the second phone call. So they obviously tell their kids or their family, whoever, and then they call me. And it's not even about selling their house or buying some, it's, it's, that's the relationship that I have with them. And even if I haven't talked to them for a while, that's the impact that we are making on people's lives. And so often we get those phone calls before people know, or we go into a listing appointment to sell somebody's house and someone just got into a car accident or a family's house catches on fire. We gave a grant to a family whose house caught on fire. I've lost three clients to cancer this year. Like there's just so much need. And so right now we do small grants as they're requested on our website. Um, but it's certainly an area that I'd love to grow, and I'd love to grow outside of our team, but in, in the real estate space in general. It's such a giving industry, mm -hmm. and there is a need for some direct giving like that. So where can people donate? So you can go to communityonpurpose.com, and there is a donation link on there. You can also listen to our podcast. So it has the same name. It's called Community on Purpose. And the whole basis of the podcast is to talk to women who are intentionally creating community, whether it's through business, giving, or living. And it's been a really fun experiment to just give women the space to talk about what community means to them and how it's shown up for them in one of those three spaces. Um, I actually created that because when we started the nonprofit, I didn't have a whole extra staff to be running this nonprofit. So I thought, It'll just kind of grow over time. Mm -hmm. And back to the importance of building your community, I had been lucky enough to have been invested in my community so deeply for the past few years that when I launched the nonprofit that I thought I needed a podcast named after it to just start to socialize the name, mm -hmm. I had an outpouring of support from people who were like, we want to help. What is this? Aww. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wasn't ready for any of that. <laughs> Um, but it was just a beautiful testament to what we've created in regards to community. Amazing job. I love that. Thank you. Um, so what did the process look like from real estate agent mm -hmm. to now you own the yeah. brokerage? Mm. 
So we're, um, I own a team and the team sits at a national brokerage, um, but I did buy the team from my parents about six years ago. So I say I'm the retirement plan <laughs> um, and I'm very proud that I have been a part of that process for my parents. I have also subsequently been a part of a lot of conversations with other real estate business owners about succession planning. Um, I am not a financial advisor. I am not a tax strategist. There, my role in those conversations is to say, here's some things that I would think about in regards to how that process happens. And also some things to think about when it comes to how they value um, not from an evaluation perspective, but value some of the things that you get when a business is transferred on, like a database, like past clients, like whatever that might look like. So did your, par <laughs> did your parents come to you first or did you go to them and you're like, so what are you guys going to do? They came to me and they just gave me a number and then I just said yes. I The way that I feel about family relationships is you either want to do it or you're not going to do it. And that may look different for everybody, um, but it was not a space that I was going to negotiate the terms. It was like, this is either something I'm gonna do or I'm gonna decide not to do it. Um, but no, they came to me and they had the terms of what they were looking to accomplish. And um, it's been really nice for me to see how that can, can work for people. And then, like I said, been able to talk to other people about lots of different aspects of it. What would you do differently if you bought a family business a second time? What would I do differently? Um, there's a lot that I would have done differently in regards to how I made changes in the business when I took over leadership of the business. It was a very good reminder for me that people do not like change. Mm -hmm. And what was very hard for me to understand at the time was that I knew what I was doing was so good for the people that were there. My intentions were good. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the, you know, the structure I was putting into place or the methodology or the training or that what I was pouring into them mm -hmm. was great but it was different and it doesn't matter how great it yeah. is or how great your intention is there are some people that people do things for their own reasons not ours right and so there's some change that's just too much for people mm -hmm. and so I think I had a lot of leadership lessons that I learned through the process um and I would do them differently, but only because I've learned, right? Like I, yeah. I, you only know what you know. And I would say that's been one of the greatest learning opportunities for me in whether you're buying a family business or anything else is to really realize the test of leadership that you'll have in ensuring that you can take that business and any people there. The other piece of the leadership part is that I made a lot of decisions out of fear. And that comes from being an inexperienced leader, that comes from a scarcity mindset, that comes from financial insecurity. There's a lot of things that led me to keep people on that shouldn't have been kept on just because 
then I had people there, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that I look back that I, that I made choices out of fear, and that isn't a way that I want to lead. For listeners that might be starting their own team of people mm-hmm. or hiring their first person, mm-hmm. what's one leadership tip you would give them? I would say if you're in that position before thinking about a leadership tip, it's to think about why you're making those hires. I think there's a lot of people who build teams only for leverage. And building a team is a people business. And there's lots of ways to get leverage. A team can look like having a lot of outsourced individuals or VAs or, right? I mean, you, you can build a team in a lot of ways. But if you're truly looking for people that show up to your brand and you're building some type of culture or identity, you have to want to pour into those people and you have to believe at least the way that I look at leadership that whatever you can do to support them in being successful will ultimately make you successful but that has to be a big part of your plan Mm -hmm. I always say it's not my job to light the pilot light but it's my job to help them keep it lit they have to be the ones to want it but I believe very strongly that I have a massive responsibility to the people that I've brought into my world to show up as our leader. Amazing. So I have <laughs> rapid fire questions oh, for you. My least favorite thing of all. Because <laughs> I'll say something like, what can you not live without? And I'll be like, coffee. And I'm like, I don't even, after I got pregnant and had my son, I never returned to the same <laughs> level of coffee drink. I'm like, why did I even say that? That's okay. That's no okay. judgment zone here. Okay. Next big life goal. Oh, jeez. Um, next big life goal would be probably to incorporate at least one of the many jobs that I have job envy over into my life in some capacity. And now I have. Is that a really answer? I have have more questions. (laughs) I mean, there's a few. I I would love to be a trauma therapist. Okay. Um, I would love to. I fell into this world of women who are doing business coaching, but are trauma informed, Mm -hmm. which I just think is the most magical marriage of how do we help women thrive in all areas of their life. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy public speaking and would love for that to be a greater component of my paid professional life, but it has to align with what works well for me as a single mom of a Mm four-year-old I do not want to be on the road all of the time I that's not the space that I'm in right now so figuring out how I craft my next life choices in a way that honors the things that I really want to keep as joyful parts of my life I love that when we were in Africa (laughs) uh in June we all went around the dinner table and said if money was like no option sure. and you didn't matter what you got paid like what would be your dream job mm-hmm. and I'm like a barista like yeah. I think baristas have the coolest job like you get to talk to people all day long 
And you're usually like the first person they see in the morning. Yes. And so I love that you talked about this other job. Have you heard of El Camino? Mm -mm. There's this walk, and I'm going to totally butcher it, but it's like from France to Spain, maybe, and it's this this like pilgrimage that people do. And my ex-husband always wanted to do it. And I said that I I couldn't go, I couldn't do it, because I live in this like middle zone of wanting structure and stability and dreaming of being completely off the grid. And I feel like if I were to go and do this walk, like I would never come Come back. back. So when you say the barista, I think part of me is like, yeah, I could totally just get this life where I was just living in pure joy and happiness. And sometimes I challenge that and I wonder, is that really what I want or is it that there are parts of me that have experienced burnout and the way to address that from an emotional perspective is to think of having none of that. Mm. Welcome to the mind of Mindy. Interesting perspective. <laughs> and we totally got thrown off from our rapid I'm sorry. Questions. I know. I'm not. I'm sorry. No, it's good. I'll try to stay focused. Um, dream vacation. Oh, dream vacation. I Speaking of Spain, I did love Spain. I did love Portugal. I love like half relaxation, spa, that whole thing, and also exploring. So what's like any country? What country do you want to go to next? I mean, I think I probably actually would go back to parts of Spain that I haven't been to. I've never been to Spain. Oh, it's lovely. You really should go. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Portugal. I kind of have a different travel brain right now, I guess, with my son. I I don't know. We do a lot of short trips. He also loves to go out and wander and explore and walk around. So we go to La Jolla and we just walk through the neighborhood. We get ice cream and we just walk through the neighborhoods at night. He just likes to talk like me. And so we go up north in California and he's my little road buddy. I bet he'd do great in Europe. (laughs) I'm sure that he would, (laughs) living his best life. If money was no option, what's like a material thing that you want? I mean, money, honestly, to me, is so much about stability and just not having to check what things are. So I I don't know that I can say one thing, you know, multiple houses and be able to just buy what I wanted and never check a bank account or what it costs and an outfit and clothes and shoes. And I think more just the freedom of not having to check versus there's one thing that I just really want. And if you could have... I told you I'm not good at this. That's okay. (laughs) If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, who would it be? (sighs) That I haven't met yet. Sure. Or maybe you want to go to, you like them so much, you want to go to dinner with them again. Mm. Well, I have to say, so I've been doing this exactly what to say stuff. And the author is Phil M. Jones. And I've gotten to know him through doing this work. And I go to New York a couple of times a year to work with him. And I have never met somebody who really employs this community first idea of investing in other people and seeing them really soar and grow and know that in return you have all these people out there who are supporting your name and the work that you do. I just think it's been a really powerful example of how you can, through the support of others, 
gain really big success. And mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed the rooms that I've been able to be in that are different than things that I had expected to be in. And so I would love more time to grow in that space. Well, thank you for being on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, our website is amyjonesgroup.com or our nonprofit is committeeonpurpose.com and Instagram and Facebook are the same. Mindy Jones. Mindy E. Jones, e. Jones right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Changing Money. Don't forget to subscribe. And I would love if you left a review and shared it with your friends. See you next time.